Welcome to the Aviva podcast. My name is Ben Moss and this is the next installment in our series on data science. Now, since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, data has really been at the heart of how countries around the world have responded to the disease. And I mean, phrases most people wouldn't have even been aware of previously, I certainly wasn't, such as following the science, flattening the curve and monitoring the R number are now really common. So to find out a bit more about the role data science is playing in the fight against coronavirus, I'm very pleased to say I'm joined by Orlando Machado, who leads Quantum, that's Aviva's data science practice, and Anna Vignoles, economist and professor of education at the University of Cambridge. I should say Anna is also the co-chair of the Cambridge Centre for Data-Driven Discovery, also known as C2D3, of which Aviva is a founding partner. Uh, Orlando and Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the, on the podcast. How are you? Thank you. Hey Ben, yeah, very well, thanks. Good. Both at home, I assume, like everyone. Of course. <laughs> Excuse the background. <laughs> um, Anna, I'll come to you first. Could you just give some examples of how data science is being used at the moment to try and tackle coronavirus? Yes, of course. I mean, I think the interesting thing about the attempts to tackle the COVID crisis is just how broadly data science is being used. I mean, we all know about the epidemiological modelling, of course, and the R number and uh, the model coming out of Imperial predicting um, what might happen under certain circumstances. But actually the data science goes much broader than that. It's being used, for example, to identify uh, those who are more or less vulnerable and to um, contact them via some of the administrative data sets that the government holds. Um, it's also being used to invent different ways of doing diagnosis of COVID, for example. Uh, we've got a, a very interesting development here, which is trying to identify uh, a COVID diagnosis from a cough that you can put into uh, an app and it can be analysed to try and pick out whether or not it's sort of precise enough to give you a COVID diagnosis. What, the sound uh, of a cough? Sorry? Is it the sound? Yes. So you cough into your app or your phone with an app on it, should we say, and wow. the idea is that the COVID cough is distinct enough that um, you can use it to uh, do you know, preliminary diagnoses. But it's all about how you use data science methods to improve our ability to manage this. And obviously some of it's really obvious, like tracing and tracking people using apps to do that. But on the social side of things, perhaps it's you know, a little bit less obvious. A huge amount of work going on trying to understand what's happening to the economy. Uh, so you've got real-time data coming in from all over the place uh, via the Office for National Statistics and other um, commercial data and trying to work out whether we are picking up effectively those sectors that are being hardest hit identifying the workers who are most at risk in terms of their jobs etc so a very broad range of applications and that actually brings me on to the point i wanted to ask uh, orlando about orlando um, as anna was describing there there's a huge amount of data involved in this and it's not just in a localized area this is worldwide it's a worldwide pan pandemic so are you aware of any sort of collaboration that's happening across different countries and organisations to use data to help us work out what's going on with coronavirus? I think there's quite a widespread recognition that we'll need to solve some of these problems collaboratively. I think um, one of the current situations that a lot of people are wrestling with is the different technologies and the different qualities of data that we have coming from different data sources. And a good example is there's a lot of talk about contact tracing and the ability to understand how pandemics spread. Um, but actually, applying the same kind of technology 
to apps in different geographies is proving to be quite difficult. So you'll hear lots of talk about things like interoperability, uh, a term that's become quite um, trendy in tech circles mm -hmm. over the last few years, but actually it's, it's got a real human impact right now because I think if, if people can't technically share data, it's going to prove very difficult to collaborate. So I think whereas the will might be there, actually sometimes the technology is, is at the moment holding us back. And Anna, is, because there's so much attention on the data, I mean, from a very basic, you know, element, a lot of us watch the five o'clock news briefing waiting to find out about the number of infections and sadly, you know, really sadly about the number of people who are, who are dying in the UK and worldwide. So there's that sort of very basic data right through to some very complex stuff. I'm wondering how difficult is it to work out what's truly accurate now because there's so much out there? Hmm. I mean, I think there's sort of two levels to this. What's really become apparent, I think, during the pandemic is the importance of the science as well as the uh, crunching of the numbers. So you have to understand where your data is coming from and what it means. Um, so for example, you know, mortality is recorded in different ways in different countries. You need to understand that to make sense of the numbers that are coming out. And of course, what's happening is people are doing it in real time. Uh, it's highly emotional and highly controversial. Um, and we're going straight to publication, so to speak, whether that's on social media or in the newspapers, uh, without uh, the, the sort of usual peer review processes. So yes, we are getting predictions or data that's uh, pretty ropey. Um, but on the other hand, what it is, I think, bringing to the fore is the importance of theories and understanding the behaviors that underpin the data. Just to take an example, I mean, this is unprecedented. Not that pandemics are unprecedented, but it's unprecedented to have what we have at the moment with this particular type of virus when we've got such a widespread um, sort of globalization. Um, so looking at in history and trying to make sense of what happened in pan pandemics previously may not help us that much when we think about how certain norms and behaviors have changed so much, particularly around travel, uh, interchange of populations, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I think understanding the human behavior element and the science element is as important as making sure you've got, you know, the optimal model and, and the computational skills in place. And Orlando, is there any danger in amongst what's happening now and the amount of data that's there and coming from different sources and, and Anna touched on there that some of it can't always be, isn't as robust as you would like it to be. Is there any danger that um, we start to lose trust in genuine experts and genuine data? Uh, I, I hope not. And, and um, I think it's interesting because over the last few years, what we've seen is technology becoming much more accessible and much more accessible to experts, but also much more accessible to hobbyists. And I think that has led to a huge explosion in people dabbling in data analysis, data science, predictive modeling, the kind of things that actually would have required real expertise a few years ago and a real theoretical understanding. So we have lots of hobbyists out there. And I think on the one hand, that's good because it makes a field less mysterious and more accessible and people can take an interest in it. But I think uh, on the other hand, it can mean that people are dabbling in things they don't really understand when actually there's a lot of fundamental uncertainty in what we're dealing with now, the situation that we're dealing with now. And I, I would hope that over the coming months and, and years for that matter, the role of experts actually will become much more clear, much clearer, because expert judgment is often the way through these situations where we have huge uncertainty that's fundamental in our data. 
actually the reason we're seeing lots of different conflicting views about what's going on is because there is fundamental uncertainty and some people have to make a judgment and that has to be an expert judgment and i would hope that once we get through the situation the role of the expert will become even clearer and actually the value of expertise and rigor and robustness of thinking will become much more obvious to people Anna, I don't, I, I, we've only just met, so I don't know how much time you, you necessarily spend on social media. But if you do use social media, do, have, you, have you noticed a trend at all for people using certain parts of data or, you know, certain figures to, to tell the story they want to tell? And do you look at that sometimes and think that isn't the full picture there? You're just cherry picking what suits your agenda. Oh, yes. And of course, if you, I mean, I know about a sort of quite a narrow range of subjects, but I know them quite well. And when you do that, and you see it reported in the media, you see, uh, you know, massive disconnect between what you know to be true and, mm. and the way it's represented. But I think, you know, that that's always been thus. I think the real issue here is that the uh, limits of expertise are also becoming apparent. So your model is with the data that you have available. And as things develop you put new data into your model and you come up with slightly different answers and that's the way science works and going back to a point I made earlier about this being relatively unprecedented because we have such a high level of globalization and other things that, that previous pandemics can't really help us uh, hugely um, so that means our models are going to be uncertain and they're going to have error and we're going to get better over time um, and I think the public struggles with that to some degree or the communication of science in that context is really hard because there is no answer. The model doesn't have the answer. The model is predicting on the best, you know, the best it can with the data it has, and it will iterate. And this has proved quite challenging, I think. And then ultimately, going back to what Orlando said, it is a judgment call at the end of the day, because you have multiple models based on slightly different assumptions. Until we get perfect data, you're going to have to go with one of them. And um, that, that's a, a judgment call as much as anything else. But I think, you know, taking a step back, if we look in a couple of years time, will the value of science, data science, value of the expert be greater than it was before we started this? Yes, I think that's definitely true. And Orlando, what? I'm, I'm not a data scientist. I think I should, I should have said that up front at the start of the podcast, really. But I, I do realise there's different strands of data science and you, and you guys have already talked about that. But um, particularly in terms of the pandemic that's going ongoing at the moment, what different types or different strands of data science are being used predominantly? I think data science is increasingly touching many aspects of our lives. And I think from an insurance perspective, we're constantly using data science to understand risk, and we understand risk as situations evolve. Certainly in, in, um, in the news, you'll read a lot about epidemiological modeling, and trying, which is essentially trying to model the way that viruses spread across the population, and whether diseases spread across the population. But equally, you know, vaccine testing, the testing of new therapeutic drugs, that has for a very long time been rooted in data science. And actually a lot of contemporary data science has its origins in, in medical statistics. If you think about the way that adverts get tested on Facebook, actually that's very similar to the way that medicines get, get tested in a trial. And I think something that's interesting to me is the way that a lot of our services, supermarkets are a good example of um, using data science to actually model their supply chains and match supply and demand. And I think supermarkets have done a great job in terms of keeping the nation going because after a very short time at the very beginning with a you know, huge amount of un unexpected demand for certain products, if you walk into a supermarket now, you'll see they're pretty well stocked. They're, they're handling the demand very well. And that has for a very long time been, been data science driven. 
So you'll see across all different aspects of our society, scratch the surface, and, and it won't be long before you find some data science. And Anna, actually, I mentioned at the start that you're a professor of education and um, no one in the UK can help but notice that there's a, you know, a, a big interest in what schools are going to do from the 1st of June. Some pupils are allowed to go back. I imagine um, as a professor of education, you'll be interested to see what data comes out of that as to what children go back to school, how it's handled, that kind of thing. Yes, I mean, the two aspects. I mean, there's also what we know already from previous research um, on the impact of uh, period of uh, you would call it homeschooling the schools are open of course they are doing teaching but you know the home environment is very different from the school environment and different parents are providing different levels of support for their children and we can see that long term this is potentially quite what uh, uh, well, could have quite a negative impact on children so there's that aspect and then there's also the the very practical issue of how you uh, go back mindful of uh, data science that tells you how this virus spreads um, because obviously a lot of the guidance that we have about how we might limit um, contagion rates is coming from uh, data science on, on the epidemic around the world and how you apply that in a very practical setting like a school and yet still keep the school open uh, give the kids something that you know approximates a normal education is a, is a real challenge and that, that I guess is also another aspect of this is that it Science doesn't have all the answers it's the intersection of the data science with human behavior and with, with the people that give you insights as to how we're going to come out of this in a positive way and Anna I'll, I'll stay with you because a, a moment ago you mentioned something that was really interesting is that within science uh, any any type of science you take the data that's available you process it and you and you put it through a model and you come up with what you think is going to happen as new data comes in you put that into the model and then you try and see if the if the outcome may slightly change which is what we're seeing in some circumstances with coronavirus which is like mm -hmm. you, you i think you mentioned the messaging can be quite difficult so can data science accurately predict what's going to happen in the short medium or even long term or is that just not feasible uh, it does i mean if you think about um, degrees of accuracy um obviously it depends on the assumptions that you put into the model but it's hugely valuable in terms of giving us some parameters to work with and just occasionally has also highlights some of the issues that you know, we, we might not have expected. So if you take, for example, the fact that technically Sweden didn't impose legal restrictions in the way that many other countries did, um, and you might have thought that that would mean that the people in Sweden were behaving very differently from the people in neighboring countries who had legal restrictions. And yet when you look at some of the, uh, the data coming out of, of, of Sweden, it's quite obvious that, uh, that behaviour has changed quite markedly, perhaps not as much as in countries where you had legal restrictions, but undoubtedly people change their behaviour without a restriction. Now that's an interesting insight that you get and probably in the original model you didn't assume compliance with something that wasn't there, um, so you would have been assuming that people continued with their old behaviours, but actually you know, they don't they change their mind and they, and they do things differently. And that's an example where you know, the, the, the model doesn't give you a precise, but it gives you insights that can help you then formulate what will inevitably be not a short-term plan for this thing, but a medium-term plan, where we really need to think about what does the new normal look like and how are we going to help people uh, live as normal life as possible while still trying to contain this virus. And, and you, know, you can't do that without decent modelling. Um, and, you know, another example that you'll see the data science being applied to is on uh, transport. Uh, if there's any good that comes out of it, obviously it's environmental. 
and the, you know, the massive fall off in transport and emissions associated with transport. So one question is, okay, so if we're bringing the system back online, so to speak, but we've got to keep people socially distant from one another, physically distant, uh, but at the same time, we don't want everybody driving their car. How are we going to do that? You can't actually think about that unless you've modeled the way people commute, uh, which lots of people have done and are doing so at the moment. So that, that sort of insight, it's not, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't give you an answer, but it helps you understand how we'll tackle this thing. Orlando, I was going to ask you, do you think this growing interest in data that has maybe come out of this, um, this whole pandemic, do you think that's going to be good for data science as a profession? I think it is. I think um, it's actually quite rare that we have a global situation, uh, a global crisis, in fact, where we have so much data about and so much interest in the data and the very technical side of analysing that data. I think that will pique um, you know, people's curiosity. People will want to explore these fields a bit more. I think people will have an understanding of some of the limitations of very casual, informal analysis because people will start to understand the, some of the uncertainties around it. And I would hope that would lead to uh, much more interest in data science as a profession, because I think a lot of the, the profession of data science is actually trying to unpick some of these ambiguities and uncertainties and also try to quantify them. And I think we may have mentioned this on a, on a podcast before, but I, I don't know if the, if the Google search ratings are still there. But isn't it if you type in, isn't it if, if you ask Google what is the sexiest job of the 21st century that come data science is number one? Yeah, it's still true. It's probably epidemiologist now, but um. <laughs> well, you know, maybe you'll reclaim your top spot soon. Um, <laughs> Anna, I was going to ask you, you what? What? Um, I think you touched on it earlier, but what has Cambridge University specifically been doing to help in this fight against coronavirus? Well, we're, I mean, the effort is huge across the university, and of course, we have a very, very large um, medical campus and uh, research facility. So um, ours is a very practical effort, ranging from supporting Adenbrooke's our local hospital, uh, right through to uh, some of the sort of apps that I were talking about earlier, where we've been doing work trying to essentially come up with technological solutions to tracing, tracking, and uh, in particular, sort of modelling the human behaviour side of this, this crisis. Um, and of course, it, it also gets very nitty gritty. Uh, one of our colleagues has been working on how you predict demand for hospital services, how you direct resources more efficiently. These are all fundamentally wow. yeah. mathematical questions. And what I hope that will come out of this crisis, and we were talking about data science becoming a sexy subject, <laughs> it also uh, causes people to understand better just the diversity of data that's out there, and the diversity of ways in which data science is applied. One of the things that D2D3 is trying to do is, is not just apply data science in uh, the sciences, the technology realm, but also in the social. Uh, so we model, for example, drivers of mental health and indeed solutions to mental health um, using uh, data science methods. So these, these methods can be applied to a wide range of issues. And uh, Orlando, what's, uh, what's Aviva been doing as well? A number of things. As an insurance company, we, we're seeing the impact on, on us as a business and we're seeing that across the industry. And I think we're, we're trying to use data science directly to model those kind of impacts. But actually, as an industry, we're trying to club together to work out how we can help. Yesterday, we announced that there's a COVID-19 support fund. So we're trying to make donations to charities as an industry together. Uh, we've also started making donations to British Red Cross and uh, NHS charities together. Um, but I 
I'm interested in, in also some of the, um, the more tactical things that we do, because I think we very quickly announced that we could offer NHS workers free breakdown cover, courtesy cover, you know, enhanced belong, personal belongings cover for home insurance. And we did that by doing some very quick data science work to work out you know, the, the impact of those kind of offers on our business, because we're a business, we have to pull these levers responsibly. And actually there's a very big role for quick data analysis that helps us understand what we can do at very short notice. I think um, worth mentioning as well, some of the, the ways that we're using volunteering. So as a company, we've always been interested in helping our, our employees use volunteering hours. And there have been opportunities in, in this particular situation to use data science to help um, make sure that charitable donations are directed in a way that's most appropriate and most efficient. So we have people in our teams using volunteering hours to volunteer for other charities, but to help them work out how they can use data to apply to, to actually allocate donations in, in the most effective way. So we have a lot of ways in which we're trying to encourage people to, to get involved and, and, and do their bit. Well, thank you for, for, uh, to both of you about that, because it's very, really interesting to see how two different, very different organisations have been able to help here. And um, we're coming up towards the end of the podcast now, but I did want to just ask you both this question. Anna, I'll start with you. Uh, there's a lot of discussion around how coronavirus is going to change the world in a variety of ways. I mean, I think earlier you used the term the new normal, and that's not the first time I've seen that. But specifically, I mean, we could discuss lots of different things we think are going to happen to the world, but specifically in your, in your area of expertise, do you think it's going to change data science at all? So um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think at the moment people are falling into two camps. There are those who are, are thinking that this is going to be over by, by July, and sadly I think that's wrong. Hmm. Um, but equally then there are those who think that the world will be transformed beyond recognition, and I think they're probably also wrong too. <laughs> normal is going to look uh, a bit like the old normal, but with some, some tweaks and some changes. Uh, the data science aspect, I think, is really interesting because it gives us the potential to return to something that on the face of it looks a bit more normal, a bit more like normal life, but still allows us um, to uh, be quite careful in terms of trying to control transmission. So it's not trivial, for example, the idea of being able to use data science to do better tracing, tracking. It's not trivial that data science might actually help us direct our testing efforts more effectively, more efficiently. Uh, we've obviously struggled in terms of delivering all the full range of public services during what has been undoubtedly uh, a really, really challenging time. And we're not going to understand how to do that better without applying very careful data analysis techniques to, to the data so that we can actually understand what happened on the ground and how can we do it better next time. So I think it's going to help us live as normal a new a life as we can, particularly over the next 18 months. And Orlando, you know, we both work for Aviva. We were in a very fortunate position, which we were able to go and work from home and stay at home as the vast majority of our colleagues are as well. But have you noticed anything? You lead the, the data science practice at Aviva. Have you noticed anything uh, with your team about the, and maybe different ways they're working or how they've adapted to this new way of working? I think uh, people have adapted pretty well. I, and I think um, if, if I think about data science, um, in principle, people should be able to carry out data science work from home. Um, but I think what everybody's adapting to is the collaboration aspect of working. And I think data science being not just an individual pursuit for, with you know, carried out by somebody with headphones in a darkened room, 
but actually being a collaborative process to help us all make use of the huge volumes of data out there, but also to progress science to actually help us use a scientific method to test and to learn and to evolve our knowledge about things. And, and these things are very, you know, extremely important things. I think that's, I think, the, the evolution that we'll see in terms of our perception. It's not just a hobby. It's not just a technical subject for somebody to, to work on at home. It's a collaborative effort for us to solve some very big problems. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to both my guests on the podcast today. That's Anna Vignoles from the University of Cambridge in Orlando, Machado from Aviva as well. Thank you so much for your time. And if you would like to find out more about some of the topics discussed on this podcast, you can visit the show notes right now.